Let's take our Bibles tonight and turn in them to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 13, Proverbs chapter 13. As you can see from the bulletin, the title of tonight's message is Love Disciplines, Love Disciplines. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24 to start us off. He who withholds his rod hates his son. But he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the words that have just been shared with the various scripture verses, the encouragement that you are to us, the inheritance that we have, how you've brought us to have our joy full and Lord, what a privilege it is to have been called out of darkness to light, from death unto life, from being an enemy of God to being a child of God. And Father, might we never take that for granted. We thank you and praise you that you've given us the word of God to be a practical guide and light to us, to the way that you would have us to walk so we can be pleasing to you. And Father, once again tonight, as we make uh, progress in the book of Proverbs, continue on with our study, we pray that it would be practical, would be helpful to us, not just as families, but individually, and that, Lord, you'd use it in our lives, that we would be an encouragement to others as we share the word of God and as we uh, take these principles that we learn and use them in our daily walk. And we just commit our study of the word of God once again. To you in Jesus' name, amen. This is the next area of our study in Proverbs. It is the area of discipline, an area of discipline. We've been talking about parents and parents, how to instruct <clears throat> your children. So immediately tonight, we could turn it all off and say, well, I'm not a parent or whatever, or whatever your situation is, and we don't need to be instruction and instructing in this area of discipline. But this is an area that, as we will see tonight, Lord willing, affects all of us, and it is important that we understand the entire subject of discipline. I'm going to start off with a couple of questions for you right away tonight, and we'll look for participation, see what we get. All right, but let me ask you this. What do you think of, or how do you think? Maybe I should put it that way. Do you think negatively or positively? Do you think good or do you think bad? Ask yourself that question. Do I think negatively or positively? Good or bad when I hear two things. One, the word discipline. Come on. How many here usually think positive? Raise your hand. Praise the Lord. There are a few hands out there. Usually we think negatively. Trials, how do we usually think? How many think positive? Negative. Even some of the ones that already had the hand up for positive. Now I'm thinking negative. We do. Isn't it true? If you talk to a child about discipline, let's just put it in a family situation for a moment, immediately the child says, oh, this is great. Right? In our personal lives, the Lord disciplines. Wonderful. Trials, terrific. 
And why I'm starting off with those questions uh, for us, I do think as an individual, I do think as a normal human being living in this world, our tendency, especially if it has not been trained biblically, is to think negatively when it comes in the area of discipline or when it comes in the area of trials. And yet, that is not God's thinking. That is the world's thinking on the subject. And right there, it's very important to establish that. Both of those things, discipline and trials, are designed for good. Both of those are an exercise in love. It's, it's a demonstration of love. Both of those, according to the scriptures, will bring joy if done properly, if responded to properly. Both of those will bring growth and maturity in every individual life, if again, responded to properly, and if allowed for God to accomplish his purpose. But it's interesting because we normally don't think, when you see a subject like discipline, that it's going to be anything that could possibly be pleasant. And uh, we would see that maybe at the moment it's not, but in the long run it really is. And when you look at Proverbs 13, just what I opened up with, in verse 24, it's a sign of love. That's why I, used, I ended up using this title, Love Disciplines, because it says very clearly in the second part of the verse, he who loves him, if you love your son, if you love your children, you will discipline him or them diligently. Not only will you do it, but you will seek to be involved in the discipline process in their life. And we'll have to understand what it means in just a few moments. But turn also back to Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. And I would challenge all of us with that. If we love knowledge and we want knowledge, then we will love correction. We will love training. We will love discipline. But he who hates reproof, pretty blunt, isn't the scriptures? Stupid. You know, we want to be careful of the language you use today in being politically correct. I love the scriptures. You don't love discipline, you're pretty stupid. If you love discipline, you love the things that God loves, and you will love knowledge. Because knowledge will come through the process of discipline. And we, in our society today, unfortunately, I believe, have been too influenced, including the Christian world, including professing Christendom, we have been too influenced by society and too influenced by political correctness, too influenced by even, listen, possibly bad experiences that have happened or, I'll take it one step even further, extreme circumstances that we might observe. And because of that, our reaction becomes negative toward the comments or the toward the prospect of discipline. But I want you to see, and we're going to see some other verses tonight, immediately 
that it is our thinking that needs to be affected. We need, as believers, to think like God thinks. That's what should drive our life, not the world. For example, turn with me in, uh, I think Ron saw some of my notes, but before I get to the Philippians passage, let's turn to a very familiar passage to you. Go with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, what verses am I going to go to? Huh? Someone said it? Yeah, 1 and 2, all right? But watch, verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By thinking, by renewing the way you think, by renewing your mind, why? So that you may prove what the will of God is and what is good and acceptable and perfect. We as believers need to have our thinking, including in the area of discipline, our thinking needs to not be what society says is acceptable or unsuccessful, unacceptable, but what does the word of God say? And how does God view discipline? Our thinking needs to be transformed. In Philippians chapter 4, this was just quoted tonight by Ron. Turn there. Philippians chapter 4. This is just to set the tone for where we're going. Philippians chapter 4 and beginning in verse 8. And prior to that, it talks about anxiety. But it says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable. See that? Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever excuse me, is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell, let your mind be saturated with these things. And the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and what? The God of peace will be with you. And that whole passage deals with anxiety, it deals with problems, and it deals with basically giving thanks to God in everything. Our thinking needs to be saturated with things that are true, with things that are just what God's perspective is. And in the area of discipline, I believe that is absolutely vital. If you want to understand teaching your children the importance of discipline, if we want to understand as believers discipline, we need to understand it from God's perspective. I thought what I would do first off is give us a biblical example so you can see someone, in my opinion, whose thinking was biblical thinking. Who is that? Job. Go back with me to Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. Very familiar passage. Job chapter 1, beginning in verse 20. You know the trials. I'm sure most are very, very familiar with the things. He was a man that was a righteous man. God had blessed his life abundantly. And then everything started to fall apart. And then you come to verse 20 of chapter 1. Job arose. He's had all these trials in his life. 
and tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground, worshiped God and said, what are you doing in my life? Why are you doing this to me, God? Verse 20. Is that what you see? No. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. God gave, God has taken away. Were these real trials? Absolutely. And he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. He didn't blame God for the trials. He didn't blame God for the circumstances. And he had no idea what was going on. Chapter 2 is even more impressive to me. Chapter 2, personally, he's now gone from all these trials. His family has been touched. And now he has been touched physically with the boils. And we pick it up in verse 7. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, and he smote Job with sore boils. And if you've ever had one, they are painful enough. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a potsherd and scraped himself while he was sitting among the ashes. And here comes the encouraging wife. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But watch. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speak. And here's the key. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? And in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. And if you were to go on to read in the passage, obviously then his friends come in. And they're talking about all of this. A situation of trials. And you say, well, we haven't touched discipline yet. The whole concept of trials, the whole concept of discipline is the idea of training. It is the idea of helping. It is the idea of education. If you were to break down the words and look them up, the words that are used in scripture for the word discipline, that's what it means. It means to train someone. It means to help them to learn. It means to help them to be educated. And what parent doesn't want their children to learn, to train them, to help them to learn, to help them to be educated? That's why you'll love knowledge. You'll love discipline is a sign of loving knowledge. It's, a, it's the idea of being trained. And that is the process that is to go on with discipline. That's why it should not be seen as a negative thing. It's a process by which God uses in all believers' lives, and we are to use in our children's lives, and we're to see it not as punishment. We're to see it as this is a process by which there's some, as I will repeat this later, incorrect thinking that needs to be corrected to get them along. I will just use two New Testament passages very quickly before I get to the, some things I want to teach here. Uh, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 for a moment. Where there's a couple of primary words that are used for discipline, but I just want to, the second passage I go to uses both of them. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I want you to see this, in verse 11, it says, now these things happened to them as an example. They were written for our instruction, for our discipline, if you will, for our learning upon whom the ends of the ages have come. All those things in the Old Testament, we look back and we learn. Those are for our learning. It's part of the process of our training. Go with me to a very well-known passage, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 
Here it says, fathers, it uses both uh, primary terms that he used in the New Testament here. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction. Those are the two words. By bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. We're not to provoke them. We're not to cause them to get frustrated, exasperated, as the scriptures say when you turn to Colossians. But we are to be involved in their life. Part of the training process, part of the bringing of them up, is the concept of discipline, is the concept of instruction. And that really gives you the true picture of what the idea is behind discipline. We need to understand right from the get-go in our study in Proverbs, and we need to understand from the Word of God that discipline is, number one, a good thing. Number two, it is part of a process to help us to mature and to grow. Go back to Proverbs and then keep your finger in the New Testament. We're going to turn to one of the passages to set the tone. Proverbs chapter 3. I'm spending time on this because if we don't understand it, we will just get saturated with what the world thinks trials or discipline are. And we won't see it from the good perspective. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. Watch. My son, do not reject, and I want you to catch this right away, the discipline of the Lord. And we're going to talk about that in a second. Discipline starts with God. And that's why as parents we have a responsibility to be involved in that with our children as well because of God's instruction. All loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord, there it is, loves, he reproves. How? He compares it. Even as a father, watch, this word is not there, but it's in italics, it says, corrects the son in whom he delights. If you really delight in your son, if you delight in your children, you'll be so concerned that you will discipline them. That's an evidence of your love. You will correct them. You won't let their thinking go the wrong way. And that's what God does for us. Does he not? Yes, he does. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. We'll be back in Proverbs. But start with this perspective. Discipline is a good thing. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 5. Let me read verses 5 through 11. Here it says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. We were just in the Old Testament. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. That's an evidence that he loves us. And he scourges every son whom he receives. And he goes on. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? I'll be honest with you. I don't know that we could, this is so rhetorical today. This is a rhetorical question, meaning obviously every father who loves his son disciplines him. I don't think that's true today. I think there's a lot of families where there's no discipline going on. There's no training. It's evident when you see society. But 
If you are without discipline, watch this. He's pretty, pretty open in these statements. Of which all have become partakers. Of which all have become partakers. Then are you illegitimate children? If you say you belong to God and you don't have discipline going on in your life, you're not. That's an illegitimate child. Because if a person really belongs and there's really love in a family, there is going to be discipline. You are not a son. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers, and he compares it, to discipline us, and we respected them. And there's another whole area of study. Because I do believe that children today do not respect authority the way they should. And I'm going to tell you, folks, my personal opinion is scripturally that it is because of the parents. The parents have not taught them how to respect authority. And I know you've heard it before, but when I remember when I was a child, unsaved child, and I had a police officer talk to me, or I had an adult, a neighbor, talk to me. If I ever talked back to them, I would have been disciplined by my parents. Because my parents had taught me, to, you respect adults, period. You don't talk back to them. You listen to what they have to say. And if you don't agree, that's fine. Or if there's a problem, you tell me. But you respect them. Today, people don't receive, children, in a lot of cases, don't respect authority. They don't respect adults, and on and on it goes. Part of it is because of the fathers and their lack of training. He says, we have earthly fathers, and they should be respected. And children, you should be thankful. Again, if you've got parents, and I believe probably in this audience, that's what you have, is parents who have disciplined their children. Have you ever gone back to them and thanked them? You should. Young children, young adults, thank your parents that they love you so much that they're looking to correct your thinking. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of Spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, and it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us, watch this, for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline, it's pretty straightforward, for the moment seems not to be joyful, who enjoys it? But sorrowful. Yet, to those who have been, and I love it, trained by it. That's the purpose of discipline. When it has trained us, when it has met its desired purpose, afterwards, not during the process, but afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Parents, don't quit. Keep training. Keep disciplining. We need to do that. We need to get that into our parents. What are we talking about here? Why do, is discipline done? It's done for love. It's done for the good of the person. When God disciplines us, he's doing it for our benefit. When you as a parent are disciplining your children, you need to have the perspective, I'm not doing this, and I will repeat myself on this later, out of revenge or anger. That's not the purpose. The thinking that you have or the actions that you've done are unacceptable and they're wrong, and I want you to see that that's got to be corrected. That's what God does with us. What is to be accomplished? Listen, it's right here. That's why I had us look at this passage we're familiar with. Holiness in the life. A fruitful life. That's what it's dealing with. 
a life that is fruitful. We want that for our children, a productive life that's going to be fruitful. God wants that for us. And peace. The condition, there is an if, and that is those who will be exercised by it. Pay attention to it and accept it. When God brings it into our life, we need to accept it. When we bring it to our children, our children usually do not want to accept it. I didn't want to accept it from my father or mother, and I personally know that my children did not and don't want to accept it from me. That's a normal process in the sense that there's resistance and they don't like it, but it's done for the right reason. What will it bring? According to that passage, it will bring praise and thanksgiving. So discipline, when we talk about children, it is to train the child, what? To think properly. To think properly. And what does that mean? Let me summarize it with this so we can get back to Proverbs. That is, we as parents, just like God does with us, are to teach the truth to our children. Why? We should then expect obedience. Just like God expects for us. When the obedience is not there, we need to train that thinking. We need to correct that thinking. And that process is called discipline. When we are not obeying God, when we're not doing what's right in God's eyes, he trains us by correcting that. Brings conviction, brings the word of God, brings others. When we as parents are involved and in what we need to teach our children is that discipline is something that is good for you. It's to correct, to correct you because you have been disobedient to something that should have been done. And I won't turn there, but 1 Samuel 15, I'll give it to you as a reference. You can look at it. That's where the Lord says, you can do everything you want, sacrifices. He said, but I am more interested in obedience than I am in those other things. That you would obey what I have to say. Now, there's various aspects to discipline, in case you didn't know it. There's at least seven that I'm aware of in Scripture. One is divine discipline. Now, since I've addressed that, I won't go back any further on that. That is, God is involved in the process of discipline in our lives. And I'm saying this to you tonight so that we get it. And that is that it's a normal process. Don't be afraid of the word discipline. God, divine discipline goes on in our lives all the time. The second area is there should be, kind of what we talked about this morning with, with uh, women, young women, there should be self-discipline that goes on with all of us, self-control. In fact, it's really in Hebrews chapter 12, since we're in chapter 12, it's really in the first four verses there before I get back. There it is. It says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witness surrounding us, watch, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which such easily entangles us. We ought to do that. Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. For consider him uh, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. That's all dealing with the process of self-discipline. Lay aside the weights. Pay attention to the things of God. We're involved in that all the time. In Psalm 139, I won't turn there, we know that there's another type of discipline what, uh, in this self-discipline. What is that? That's where the psalmist says, examine my heart. 
Cleanse my heart. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, that's the process. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says, I run the race. I run to win. But I run to win and to do it right so I won't be disqualified. That's self-discipline. He says, I put off those things. Psalm 32 as well. So there's divine discipline. There's self-discipline. The third one I would give you is there's interpersonal discipline between us. That's one that I don't want to dwell on tonight, but I will tell you that I believe the church messes up all the time. What is that? We are to be involved in that process with one another. And that's found in Matthew 18, and it's found in Galatians chapter 6 as an example. If you and I see a brother stumble, it is our responsibility to go to them and help them out. Our responsibility. Not the pastor, not the elders. You, as a member of the body of Christ, when you see another Christian that is out of line, it is your responsibility to be involved in that discipline process where you are to lift them up and help them to get that corrected if they stumbled into it. The second aspect is Matthew 18. That is another form of discipline. What is it? That's where you have offended somebody or somebody's offended you, and you don't go to everybody else and tell them. You go to the person one-on-one. -on -one. That's biblical. That's a discipline process. It's one that the church is afraid to do. It's one that very few people do. But if you're not involved in that, then you don't love your brother the way you should love your brother. It's that simple. So there's divine discipline, there's self-discipline, there's interpersonal discipline. And yes, that's where we are in Proverbs. Go with me to Proverbs 19. There is parental discipline. But I brought you back to see those things. We talk about discipline, and whatever your view might be of it as a parent, to start with, we need to get God's perspective in our thinking as parents. We have a responsibility to correct our children. If you don't, I'll make it pretty simple. Your child will be an embarrassment to you because of their behavior in public, because of their behavior in other situations where they're an embarrassment because they have not been taught how to behave and how to be, and they haven't seen the correction that should come. It is the responsibility of the parents. Let me just read a few verses and mention the other ones, then I'll concentrate on some things that I know you're probably interested in, and that is the practical. Proverbs chapter 19, look at verse 18. It says, discipline your son while there is hope. When does that start? Immediately. Discipline him. And do not desire his death. Of course I wouldn't. Who's going to desire the death of a child? Well, you see it all the time. Let me just use practical examples. It's obvious they weren't disciplined. It's obvious they weren't trained. What happens? They get out in society, and some of them end up literally dying because of their lifestyle, because of what they've done. Now, maybe it's choices, but sometimes it's because the house hasn't taken care of it. Chapter 22 of Proverbs, very quickly. 22, verse 15. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Oh, no, don't talk about the rod. Yes, I am, and I'm coming back to it. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. The scriptures are clear. That's divine instruction. It is the rod that will discipline and remove that far from him. Chapter 23, verse 13. Do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with a rod, he won't die. That's not what's going to kill him. 
Now, I'll comment on that in a few minutes. My son, if your heart is wise, verse 15, my own heart will be glad. That's involved in the discipline process. Chapter 29, Proverbs. Chapter 29, verse 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom. But a child who gets his own way, a child who gets his own way, a child who gets his own way, do you see any of that today? Literally, you know what that says? A child left to himself. And the reason I'm saying that and emphasizing that to you, that is the thinking of our society. If you leave a child to himself, it'll be fine. Really? Not biblically. You leave a child to himself, you got trouble. But it says there very clearly in the verse, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother, and that's what will happen. All of that to say you need to be involved in discipline. The other one, which I won't deal with, there are three other forms of discipline, and that is there is church discipline, there is employment discipline, and there is government discipline, all of which is spoken about in Scripture. All of which is spoken about in Scripture. But let's deal with the practical aspect of parental discipline. How do we be, are we to be involved? Obviously, the answer is yes. We ought to be involved in the training and in the discipline of our children. Let me give you a couple of points, and I will talk about spanking in a moment. And this is on tape. Okay, but let's deal with the practical. First of all, discipline should never be out of revenge. Never. Listen, parents, and we've all failed. Discipline should never be done out of manipulation. Discipline should never be done by bribes. If you don't do that, then you're not going to get your candy tonight. That's a bribe. You're not going to get to watch your own program. That's not handling it properly. You need to deal with the root of what the problem is. Discipline is not something that lacks follow-through. What do you mean by that, Pastor Dan? And I'm just dealing with the practical. It is not proper discipline to say, if you do this, this is your consequence. If you do this, this is your consequence. Now, I really mean it. If you do this for the third time, this is the consequence. You are not training your child. You're training your child that your word doesn't mean anything. You say something, mean it. The first time. Neither is discipline something just like with God. That's why I went back to these principles. It's not that God is always expecting us to understand what he's doing. Your child, sometimes we think from infancy, that they're going to understand perfectly. We talk about a hot stove, and we tell them not to go near it. They ought to get it the first time. Really? Did you? Do you get it the first time when God talks to you? Sometimes you don't understand. And not only that, in the illustration I used, the child really still doesn't have a, comp uh, a comprehension of what the heat is and what the burn is going to be. So don't expect them to understand or agree with you all the time you, as the mature adult, need to understand that when I'm exercising discipline, I need to understand why I'm doing what I'm doing, what I'm doing. Whether they understand it or not, I need to see that it gets corrected in their thinking. Other practical things I try to pull together quickly. It needs to be age appropriate. Whatever discipline, 
That should never stop. As long as a child is in your home, that should never stop. They're responsible to your house. You're the father. Now, that'll raise a lot of questions probably in your mind, but I can tell you that until my children were out of my house, that was true. As long as you're in my house, you abide by the things that I say, and if you won't, then fine, go on your own. But I am responsible to train you. I am responsible to be involved in it. It needs to be age appropriate. And you don't treat an infant like you would someone that's 16 or 18 in your home. If you're trying to do that, you misunderstand what discipline. God doesn't treat us that way. He treats us based upon what he's shown us and what's expected at the level that we're at. It needs to fit the context. The degree of discipline that we exercise needs to fit the context. The seriousness of the, the infraction. How frequently is it done? Do you have a child that goes over and over and over, keeps committing the same thing, and, it, and he just doesn't get it? Well, that needs to be a different type of training to make sure that they understand what you're trying to get across. Time's getting away on me. What about the concept of spanking, Pastor Dan? That's the one I really want to hear, and it's talking about a rod. You know, what is the concept? As you know, our society says spanking is a no-no. Well, let me say these things very clearly on tape. Number one, abuse is never, ever, ever acceptable in the eyes of God. Never. Especially with children. And I say that out loud, listen, men, in a marriage, verbal abuse as well is never acceptable. So many wives have been abused that way. Abuse is never acceptable by God. So when talking about the rod, he's not talking about abusing your child. Secondly, I want you to get God's perspective. Would you go with me to Psalm 23? Oh, I know that Psalm. I hope you do. Go with me there. Psalm 23. Let's get right to the heart of it because time's escaping. Look at verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? You're with me. Is that the end of the verse? Help me. What does it say? Your what? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What? I want you to see this thing first. I want you to see this first. The rod is not an instrument like we think it is. The rod here in scripture was a symbol of care. It was a symbol of care, not of beating. Was it used to hit the sheep? Yes, it was. But it's because the shepherd cared for the sheep and he was concerned about the wolves. And he says, the whole thing, the rod and the staff, that was a comfort to me. What? That my shepherd loves me. And as a father, that's what it should be. It's a sign not of an instrument of death, per se. It's an idea of a symbol of what? Care. And when you look at some other Proverbs that I didn't turn to, just to give me, to give you two more. Go with me to Proverbs 26 for a moment. Proverbs 26. Verse 
in verse 3, it says, A whip is for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. I mean, it's pretty simple. We understand a whip and a horse. We understand a bridle and a donkey. Why don't we understand a rod and a fool? We should by now. Chapter 10, Proverbs, verse 13. Chapter 10, verse 13. <clears throat> On the lips of a discerning, wisdom is found. But a rod is for the back of him who lacks what? Understanding. Doesn't have a heart that's leaning towards God. That's what that verse really means. He does not have a heart that's leaning towards God. We need to train that back, and the rod is for that purpose. It is to train them. It is to instruct them. Even Christians often have a problem when they see the word rod, when they see the concept of spanking. But I'm telling you, folks, biblically, it's correct. Biblically, it's right. Never, ever, ever for abuse. Never. However, you don't need to go to the world's concept. We have to understand that we are interested in what God says. I'll tell you a little bit, and I won't. You can check out a lot more detail than this. But if you look through history of the world, you will find out that throughout history, physical pain was an accepted and correct method for correcting everybody and anybody. And by the way, it still goes on today. How? Caning. There are nations that still exercise caning. And if you don't know what that is, it's basically having your back exposed and getting beaten with a cane. Why? So that they would physically understand that they have done something wrong. Public scourgings. We don't do that today. In fact, we, we laugh about it today when we go to places that have those things you can stick your head through and your hands through so everybody can take your picture, okay? But a lot of that was done publicly and they would throw tomatoes and stuff like that. There was a physical sense. Why? They did wrong. You need to learn something. If you really want to go to extreme, there's still nations today. If you steal, you lose your hand. You stole, give me a hand. Why? You will never steal again. You will remember. There's a physical pain that went with it. Now, I'm not promoting any of that at all. And I'm not a pro promoting abuse. But you are not in line with God's thinking if your, line, if your thinking is that some type of instrument cannot be used to correct my child. Now, remember what I did say. It needs to be age appropriate. If someone's an infant, you don't start spanking them when they have no concept of what's going on. If someone's a teenager, you, they should be well beyond the idea of spanking at that stage. There are many, many forms of discipline. I would also say this. You should never, ever, ever, and I've seen this done still today, which is frightening with where society is, but you should never spank your children in public. It should be a private affair. It should be something that you, they understand. I will tell you, my children would, would tell you the same, I know. They didn't like it, 
but they never received a spanking without being told why they were getting it and how much I did love them and that I was only doing this because they needed to understand my concern for them. It needs to be age appropriate. I would also say, in a practical sense, that the instrument should be flexible. What do you mean? I mean, I'm not telling you what to do. You know in history, though, that they used to be go get the swatch or whatever it was. And uh, Today I've heard people use glue sticks or whatever. I don't know. Never ever to abuse. I'm not promoting that. But I'm saying the scripture had a rod. Why? A rod on the back. It was something that was used to correct. Why? Because you had to understand from God's perspective what was going on. It was training. It was instruction. It wasn't just beating. It wasn't the idea of anything other than to get the thinking in line with God. And if that's what it took, that's what was used. So what are we saying? Be involved in the discipline of your children. We are involved and should be in the discipline of the Lord every day. Self-discipline. Discipline with one another. But when it comes to children, they need to be disciplined. What is it? They need to be trained. They need to be corrected. And there are many forms that that can take place in. I'm not dealing with all of the forms. The only reason I dealt with spanking is because of the use of the word rod, and that is a common question. And so I'm not going to avoid it. And what is the scriptural teaching on it? It is acceptable when it's done right. And it's done to profit the child, and it's done to correct the fool, and it's done to move on the circumstances in a way to get them to think the way God should be thinking. So, parents, discipline your children. Don't wait for society to do it. That's why there's jails. That's why people used to be executed. It's because of lack of discipline that went on. Don't wait for the school to do it. Don't wait for somebody else to do it. You should be involved in an ongoing process of disciplining your children. I mean, it's really practical, folks. Now, don't panic over this, but I, I just, there's a situation. Even when coffee time's going on or whatever, your children should be under your discipline in the sense of learning principles. Doesn't mean they can't run around the gym. Of course they can and have a good time. That's not what we're talking about. Or in church, or, or in public, or visiting grandma, whatever it might be. Be involved in the process of training and educating your children into the way God thinks, what is right, and you in the long run will benefit, but also the child will. And they will bear the fruit that they should bear to the glory of God. I thank God we get a God who disciplines us, who corrects us, who's involved in correcting on an ongoing basis, who allows trials in our lives so that we can grow in our faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know this is a sensitive subject, but I know, again, the Word of God teaches. It's important that we understand what it says. I thank you, Father, that as a great shepherd, you guide us <coughs> with your staff <coughs> and your rod. You protect us. You guide us. And you want us to follow you. Help us, Father, to be very wise in our parenting, to use wisdom in this area, but certainly to be involved in the discipline of our children so that, Father, they would learn not only to be obedient to us, but to love you and to want to follow you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.